Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Good to have you here with us this morning. On another Lord's Day, we gather together. Those of you who are joining us on Zoom, we welcome you as well. Nice to have our brother uh, Floyd Wilson here with us today, and we pray that the Lord would bless. Good morning. You remember Job in the Bible? He had many horrible things happen to him and to his family. And he just could not understand why would God let it happen to a nice man like him. But his friends came and said, it must be because you have a secret sin. Job was hurting a lot, both from his friends' words, but also from all the suffering that he had endured and losing his family. Uh, except for his nagging wife. <laughs> and, and his friends said, so many things bad have happened to you. Why don't you just curse God? And Job refused to do that. But he did say to God, would you please answer me? Would you please explain? So that brings us to our scripture reading this morning. Job 38, verses 1 through 21. And this is not what the message will be on, but part of God's answer is going to be uh, explaining about his creation, which we are going to be talking about. So Job 38, verses 1 through 21. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by the words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shot who shut in the seas with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors? When I said, this far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes on form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and the upraised arm, upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in the search, in search of the, the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors or the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And darkness, where is its place? That you may take it to its territory, that you may know the past to its home. Do you know it? because you were born then, or because the number of your days is great? We'll stop there, but the Lord continues on and on through this chapter with more references uh, in poetic form, of course, to what he created. 
And when God finished all his speech, Job chose not to argue with God. Now that is something that we could wisely learn, not to argue with God. And we, we can learn from Job's experience and learn to trust God, even if we don't understand all that he is doing. So we thank the Lord for his word. Now before we pray, I have a, a little bit of an announcement. Um, the Lord has given me a desire to help people to get into the Bible for themselves. Like it's, I spent my whole life studying the Bible and preparing sermons and preaching to people. But you know what? If you have the Bible as a foreign book, if you, if you say, oh, I, I just can't understand the Bible and all this, and you've never really read it and, and are eagerly reading it and understanding it, then I think, okay, is there anything that I could do that could help encourage people out in the pews uh, from very young age right through to old people to get into the Bible and actually enjoy learning from it? So... During the past four years, especially during COVID, I was working on writing two books that focus on 150 highlights from the Bible. And one book is those highlights at a children's level, uh, school-age children, and the other book is for youth and adult level. So in these two books, each of the 150 Bible highlights has an illustration it's a painting that's part of the book. And they were done, all those paintings and the illustrations were done by a teenage girl in New Brunswick named Hannah Posse. And I've never met her, but I work with her and her father in uh, over the past two or three years getting these illustrations to put in the books. So I'm telling you all this because in the message this morning, I'm going to be showing five of the illustrations from toward the beginning of the book on the first five days of uh, creation. And after the service, there will be a display in the narthex uh, of the two books for anybody who may be interested to look at them and uh, possibly uh, have one for yourself. So, so that's the announcement. <clears throat> so let's have our time of seeking the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks and praise to you, our God. You are the merciful God. Even though we have sinned against you from the beginning of humanity with Adam and Eve, and you said to them, and you've said in your word that the wages of sin is death. And that's a horrible thing. But Lord, you also provided the way for us to have the opportunity to confess our sin and to receive your forgiveness. And you did that by providing the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the scripture, you told us all about him and you told about how he, he laid down his life dying on the cross, shedding his blood and rising again so that we could repent of our sin and believe in him and be forgiven and have a life that is changed in our position toward you. We're no longer enemies. We're reconciled to you. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that your spirit is continually working 
in the life of each believer, changing our condition to be more and more like Christ. So Lord, thank you for all these spiritual blessings that you have provided for we, your needy people. We thank you, Lord, for many of your blessings. And I'd just like to pause in this prayer to give each one of you in this congregation an opportunity to just silently thank the Lord for his blessings in this past or recent weeks. And Lord, as we have thanked you for what is at the top of our minds of of the blessings that we can count and remember today, there are also needs that are represented here where we have things and situations that we, we need to ask you about or request your assistance. And so, Lord, please hear our prayers as we offer these to you now. Lord, as we continue in prayer, we want to remember the families that are represented here. There are marriages, there are uh, families or marriages that you have blessed with children and grandchildren. And you know that sometimes as families, we have our struggles. And so, Lord, help us to have in our marriages and families your kind of love that serves each other, that respects each other, but also a love that is courageous enough to confront wrong attitudes and actions. Lord, please give us a love that brings genuine repentance and full forgiveness. Lord, help every one of us to be the same person at home as we are here at church. Lord, help us to be your representatives in this world that is so broken, that has so much conflict. And our minds think of the conflict still continuing in Ukraine and the new conflict that's revived in Israel and Gaza. And we know, Lord, we don't have the answers to these things as far as to how to make it all better in a human way. But we know that from your perspective and from the spiritual perspective, the only lasting hope that could get people who hate each other for generations, how they could ever come to love and accept each other, we know that it's only as Christ comes into their hearts and they first are reconciled to the Lord Jesus, then they could forgive and confess and be reconciled to the people around them that they have hated. And so, Lord, help us to do whatever we can do to bring the message of the peace of Christ to our world and We can't necessarily change anything over in Europe or Palestine, but we have a world that we're part of right here locally. And so, Lord, please continue to work in our hearts and minds as we worship you in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, Floyd, we welcome you and the Lord bless as you open the word to us this morning. Thank you.
Well, please open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. And let's begin with prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the Bible, your revelation of yourself and what you are doing in this world and in us, and how you have brought the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we dedicate this time to you. Help us to learn from what you have revealed in Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the Jews call the first book of the Bible, the first of Moses' five books, they call this book Bereshith, taken from the first word in the Hebrew Bible, which means in the beginning. Are you surprised at that? <laughs> in the beginning, Bereshith. And when Hebrew scripture was translated into the Greek language about two centuries before Jesus came, the translators called the first book Genesis. The root of the word Genesis is gen. It means produce. An English word using this Greek root is generator, a machine that produces electricity. Genesis is a fitting name for the first book of the Bible because it is about God producing the universe and people. God designed that people produce more people. And the record of each successive generation of people is called a genealogy. You get it? Gen means produce. Genesis, what God produced. Genesis is much more than the first book in our Bible. It is the foundational book of the Bible. Genesis records the beginning of world history and the first human beings. Genesis explains the origin of sin and sin's ongoing consequences for humanity. But there is also good news, for Genesis begins to reveal how God will provide a way for people to be saved from sin's penalty. Denying or casting doubt on what is written in Genesis undermines the rest of the Bible. And I believe it discourages people from putting their trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. Compromising interpretations of Genesis try to incorporate millions of years and the religion of naturalism and evolution into the narrative. This has the unintended result of persuading those who were raised in the church to end up rejecting the Christian faith. They say, if I can't trust what the Bible says in Genesis, why should I trust what it says in the rest of it about anything, including Jesus? So now let's get into the book of Genesis for ourselves. Let's explore the facts that God somehow enabled Moses to document centuries after the events happened. 
So we begin with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This verse serves as the title for the days of creation information that follows. Genesis 1, verse 1 shows that God must be an eternally existing and almighty being. God is not only alive, he has the power to create the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth is an expression for all of creation. An interesting point about the word God is that in Hebrew, it is Elohim, a plural word. The explanation for the plural is that God is triune. He is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three persons were involved in the creation work, as verse 2 will begin to confirm. Genesis 1 verse 1 does not say or imply that God created by rearranging things that already existed. God made the heavens and the earth, everything, from nothing that was there before. Now, this is absolutely impossible for you and me. To make a house, builders need concrete, lumber, nails, screws, shingles, and much more. To make pancakes, my wife tells me that she needs flour, salt, baking powder, honey, eggs, oil, and milk. And some of you are into mechanics. Making a truck requires steel and plastic parts, rubber tires, an engine, and electronic components, and probably a lot of things I didn't mention. Okay, you, you know, when we make things, we make them out of something else that was made from something else. There's some substance at the start. Now, you and I cannot make something from nothing. Although occasionally, some of us manage to make a mountain out of a molehill. God was able to create from nothing. Since God is the creator, he has authority over everything that he created. And that includes you and me. Genesis 1 verse 1 declares that God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. In the beginning refers to the beginning of time on the first day that we will now consider. Genesis 1 verses 2 through 5. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So verse 2 indicates that the Spirit of God, the third person of the triune God, was present and involved in creating the substance of a water-covered earth. This water-covered earth was without form and void. It had no structure. It had no inhabitants at this point. The earth was also in darkness. 
All of these descriptive terms imply that more creative work was required. And that brings us to verse 3, where God commanded, let there be light, and there was light. God must have been the temporary source of this light because he did not make the sun until the fourth day. God's special light was good, especially because of what it was able to accomplish. It divided the light from the darkness. There could now be the light of daytime and the darkness of nighttime. The evening and morning of the first day implies the passing of time and the beginning of a cycle that will repeat on all the days to come until our present time. For all this to happen, beginning with the first day, the formless and empty earth must have been rotating. And it continues to rotate each 24 hours until today. It's still rotating. God knew that this day and night cycle would benefit us. No wonder he saw it as good. There were no defects in that. Notice from the picture that will come up here, how Hannah pictures the light and dark sides of the earth on the first day. And so that brings us to the second day, Genesis 1, verses 6 through 8. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. The English translation firmament in the King James Version of 1611 and the New King James Version of 1982, which I'm using here, unfortunately gives the impression of solidness because when you hear firmament, you think firm, something that's solid. But actually, the meaning of the original Hebrew word refers to something that is spread out or stretched. A better English word for that concept would be expanse. So Genesis 1 verse 6 records God speaking the firmament or expanse into existence and he used it to divide the waters above from the waters under. Now we have to think about this. What are the waters above and what are the waters under? Well, I think it's pretty, pretty sure that the waters under is the water that's on the surface of the earth. And today, you could say the waters that are under are the, the oceans and the lakes and rivers, that kind of thing. This water is essential or will be essential for the survival of the plants and animals and people that God will make on later days. Now, there's less certainty about the waters above. In other words, I'm saying I don't know for sure <laughs> what they are. But if you ask my personal opinion, I think the waters above are the moisture that, that's in the clouds. And the firmament or expanse would be the atmosphere or sky separating the waters that's on the surface from the water that's up there. So maybe somebody else has a better explanation, but that's, that's what I think it is. 
Now, verses 8 and 9 use another Hebrew word with a similar meaning for the area between the waters. This word is translated heaven or heavens in some Bibles and other Bibles translated as sky. So it's interesting to note that at the end of the second day, God does not call it good. Some think this is because God's dividing of the waters will not be completed until the third day. So there's, we'll see now Hannah's painting showing the contrast between the waters under and the sky that separates the waters under from the waters that are above. So now we come to the third day, verses 9 through 13. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. God's creative work here on the third day is in two stages. First, God separated the waters that were on the surface of the earth. God may have done this through rapidly uplifting rock that had been underwater and having molten rock spurt out in volcanoes or something. But it's also possible that God just poofed it into existence. I don't know how he actually did it. But all this was necessary in preparation for the vegetation that he would make next on the third day. Because God must have had this rock or solid land that came up out of the water. He must have put some soil on at least some of it so that the vegetation that he was going to make later that the third day would have somewhere to grow. Verse 9 contrasts the dry land called earth with the waters that he called seas. Now, when you're thinking about this, don't imagine the globe on day three to be like the globe that we have today. Okay? Don't, don't imagine North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Don't imagine that. Because this is before the flood. This is the world as it was before the flood. And who knows all the the changes that were from what was before to make what is now, okay? So d just think of it, this is something different, but the same concept is there. Land, soil, plants growing on it. This newly created vegetation may have been at various stages of growth from seedling to mature seed-producing plants and trees. Verse 12 reports that the earth obeyed God each kind of plant used its God-given ability to reproduce itself. And God saw that it was good. So we can enjoy 
the variety and beauty of the vegetation that we can see today in the various areas of, of the land with soil where things can grow in it today. So Hannah depicts some of these plants in her day three painting. So the evening and the morning were the third day. To the Hebrews and Jews of Bible times, the day begins in the evening. And then, when does your day begin? Doesn't it begin in the morning, right? We have morning and then we have evening. But, but the Jews, they think of it different from us, that the day begins in the evening and then the morning ends the day kind of thing. Okay. So now coming to the fourth day, Genesis 1, 14 through 19. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. When we were considering the day one beginning of creation in verses two through five, I've mentioned the light and the revolving earth that produce morning and evening, or evening and morning, marking the first day. This special light was temporary. But now on the fourth day, God made two other lights that replaced the light that he, was, that he made on the first day. And these two lights are in the expanse or in the sky beyond Earth's atmosphere. The greater light to rule the day, we call the sun. And the lesser light to rule the night, we call the moon. The light of the sun on the 24-hour rotation of the Earth on its axis measures the passing of time as the special light did on the first day. You know about that, right? Like the globe is turning turns once every 24 hours. But at the same time, the Earth is revolving in orbit around the sun in 365 days, six hours, and nine minutes. And we call that period of time a year. The six hours and nine minutes add approximately an extra day every fourth year. And we call that extra day February 29th. Anybody here born on February 29th? Has your birthday every four years? No? Okay. Some people are born on that day. <laughs> They're real young. <laughs> okay. We call that a leap year, by the way. And then verse 14 mentions seasons. Now, the difference in seasons happen because the earth is tilted on its axle, axle, <laughs> axis by 23 and a half degrees. Now, Kirk, if you could just put on the next slide. 
that, that's from the World Book Encyclopedia, and it's trying to depict what I'm trying to explain about how the Earth on its, uh, tilted on its axis can produce the seasons. But I'm going to, maybe you can't get it from that. I'm going to try to demonstrate it, okay? Now, you, you all have imagination? Okay. This is the sun. Okay, you see the sun right here? Bright and hot, right there. Okay. This is the axis of the earth, like the center, center line of the earth, and here's the earth. Okay? And the earth is rotating. Now, don't tell me which way it goes around. Anyway, it's rotating. Okay. And so here's the sun in the middle, and here's the earth on its axis. And this is the top of the earth. This is the northern hemisphere where we live, and here's the southern hemisphere where uh, Sarah's PSW is from, Chile. Okay, it's down there. And the earth is turning. And so if, if, this, if the sun is here and the earth is like rotating like this, and we're in the northern hemisphere, what season of the year is it? It's summer because we're, we're close to the sun when it's tilted like this. But as the earth revolves around the sun, And gets six months later, Earth is still rotating. Well, I forget which way it rotates. Which part of the Earth is closest to that sun? The southern hemisphere. So they are having summer, and we are having winter. So you got it now? Okay, all right. <laughs> Maybe the diagram was better. <laughs> so let's go to... Um, oh, before I go on from that, the Earth's rotate. The um, I already mentioned about that. Uh, let's see, the light emitting sun and light reflecting the moon, or no, the, the the light is coming from the sun and it reflects off the moon and it makes light for us at night. I think we all understand that. Uh, but they're not the only heavenly bodies that God created on the fourth day, because verse sixteen adds that God made the stars also. This is kind of like a throw-in, you know. He also made the stars. <laughs> Whoa. Just, just like that, just made the stars. I think it's amazing that God could, could create a vast universe in one day. He even found a way for the light from the distant stars to already be reaching the earth. And I don't understand how he did it, but that shows that God has infinitely more power and wisdom than me. So let's see Hannah's representation of God's fourth day creation. There it is, with the sun and the moon and the stars. So let's go to the fifth day of creation. Genesis 1, verses 20 through 23. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly across the earth, no, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. 
After the first three days of creation, there was lots of water on planet Earth. However, there were no living creatures in it, on it, or above it, I suppose. But God remedied that situation on the fifth day. He made first the creatures that live in the water. There were lobsters, dolphins, whales, and the now extinct plesiosaurs. These were created when God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. God also made every winged bird that flies in the sky. There were eagles, hummingbirds, and pterosaurs that are now extinct. All God had to say was, let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. And it happened that very day. Genesis 1 verse 21 says that God created the sea creatures according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And in verse 22, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Now, what does it mean for the water creatures and the flying creatures to be created according to their kind? A creation kind is a broader category than what we consider species today. Zebras and horses must be from the same kind since they can interbreed. Lions and tigers are from the same kind since they can have tigons and ligers. And by the name is by which is the male and which is the female, but they can, anyway. <laughs> Uh, dogs, wolves, coyotes, and jackals are probably from the same common canine kind. The diversification of species from the original created kinds through natural selection is not evolution. God is simply rearranging the genetic information, or the there is, it's simply rearranging genetic information that God already created originally. So millions of years and mutations could never create new biological information that would be required to turn a single-cell amoeba into a chimpanzee and then a man. God says in verse 21 that the creatures in the water and the air were good, so good that God wanted more of them. Here is Hannah's painting of the fifth day, uh, showing, uh, if you look closely, a, a plesiosaur in the water and a petrosaur in the air. These creatures did not evolve from simpler living things over millions of years. God created all the kinds of water and air creatures on day five. The Almighty God, who created on day one, day two, day three, day four, and day five, has revealed what happened and ensured that it got recorded in the real history of the book of Genesis. And this will be continued the next time that I'm speaking on a Sunday morning. Let's praise God, first in prayer and then in song. Lord, we're just amazed that you could do it, but you did it. Only you could do it, is to do the creating things that you did on day one, two, three, four, and five.
And Lord, we can see the results of it even today. And so, Lord, thank you for your mighty power and that we are your creatures who can appreciate what only you were able to do. And we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.